The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Let's find our Bibles and go to Acts chapter number 14. Acts chapter number 14. Let's jump right into our message today. Acts chapter number 14. Children, fourth grade and below, uh, you're welcome to go to Children's Church just right down this, this hall. And uh, I was asking the kids that are being baptized this morning to stay in and be a part of this morning's uh, message this morning. And then the other kids are going to come up at the end of uh, service and be able to watch on. And so Acts chapter number 14, are you there? All right, let's stand. And uh, I, I heard about five of you that are there this morning. Acts chapter number 14 and verse number 21. Acts chapter number 14 and verse number 21 is where we're going to begin reading. The Bible says this, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through many or much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had um, prayed and fasted, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia and thence sailed to Antioch, Antioch in Syria, from, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles, and there they abode long time with the disciples. And we're going to look at a fascinating passage of Scripture that deals with Paul and Barnabas finishing up their last ministry tour, and I've entitled the message today, What We Do. What they did is what we need to do. And we're going to look at some pattern that they set out for us. It's going to be helpful to us as a church that wants to follow the Lord and wants to be built by the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated, and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer and ask the Lord this, uh, this morning in the quiet of this moment that he would help you to receive his word and that he would help you to be responsive to the word. Would you bow there for just a moment and pray and ask the Lord to do that, and then I'll pray. Father, we do just thank you this morning for your great goodness to us and your word. And now as your people, we have bowed before you and we've asked you, Lord, to work in our hearts. You told us that we were to allow the word of God to uh, enter into our hearts. And at that point, Lord, it would give us illumination for our living. Lord, I'm asking that you would guide us through your word. And then this week that we would be different uh, in our lifestyle, in our attitude, in everything about us because we've received your word. And so help us not to walk from this place, having rejected it in any way, having uh, questioned it as Satan would have us to do, but Lord, to receive it as you have asked us to do. So Lord, help us, we pray, and I pray that you would shield again this time from distraction, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's bring us back up to speed on this missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas have been on. It's their first missionary journey, or you might call it a ministry tour, uh, as some people might call it. They were simply being sent out of a church, and they were going about in an area of churches to preach the gospel in an area of cities. Some of these cities had a little bit of understanding about religion, especially the Jewish religion. Some of them that they got to in the end of their um, missionary tour, they were completely pagan. They had no concept of God. They were overtaken by idolatry and, and God's small g gods. 
and they, they, their worship of, of gods. And so uh, it was quite an amazing missionary tour. Everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. They would come into town. If there was no synagogue, they would go out and just preach the gospel in the streets, uh, which was kind of interesting because along the way, uh, the preaching of Christ always brought two different responses. It either brought the response of great reception where people said, yes, we believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we believe in what he did at the cross. Yes, we believe the gospel. We receive that personally. Yes, we believe that he is the only way for us to have forgiveness of sins, and they believed on him, or, or it brought great rejection great rejection, where the whole town would rise up against them. And in some of the towns, they would either be run out of town, be threatened to be ambushed, or be, um, be actually stoned right in the streets for simply preaching the word of God. You say, that's pretty far-fetched. Uh, that happens in our world today, where people that stand up and preach the word of God are threatened with, their, um, with death for, their, um, for simply just preaching the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not too far-fetched. It's always happened on, towards Christianity. We have lived in sort of a bubble here in the United States where we have not experienced uh, that to that degree. We have not, as Hebrews says, resisted unto blood, but some of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, and yes, indeed, Paul, the Apostle Paul, resisted unto blood. And so they were traveling around. They've traveled out of Antioch, of Pisidia, as you see up there. They traveled down to Iconium when they were when they're run out of town in Iconium, they wanted to be, uh, they wanted to ambush them. Down they go to uh, down to Lystra. In Lystra, they're stoned in the streets. Paul gets back up after being stoned. The miracle of God walks back into the city, which is an amazing thing. Walks right back into the city through the very streets that he was stoned in, and then the next day he goes down to Derby and they continue preaching the gospel there. What an amazing, amazing thing! And so it was even interesting to me how that. It was up in um, Antioch and in Iconium, there was just such hate that was developed towards the preachers of the gospel. They would trace them all the way down uh, into Lystra, and we'll get into that a, a little bit later. But here's the thing I want you to grab hold of. As they're going through this missionary journey, and they're coming to the end of it, they are, they are kind of finalizing details. They're in their last city. They're doing the same thing they've done in every city, preaching the gospel and helping those that have received the gospel to walk in the Lord and to be strengthened in their faith. We'll see that in this passage of scripture. And as well, helping set up the new church plants. You say, is there church planning in the book of Acts? All over the book of Acts, there's church planning. And it's something that we're supposed to continue in our day. So that's why I say what we do, uh, what we need to be doing is what they did. You say, where's the instruction manual from the church? Can I go find that on a podcast somewhere? Forget the podcast, go to the book of Acts and find the instruction manual for the church, right? It's very vivid, we're gonna see it here. Because first of all, I want you to notice, what was the focus of the church in that day? What was the focus of the church of Antioch in specific? You say, wait a minute, this was Paul and Barnabas, weren't they just kind of like missionary, you know, missionaries kind of out on their own? Listen, they were firmly attached to a local New Testament church like, uh, like this. They were sent out of a church. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot get away from that. In fact, I'm not going to get into this, but recently there's kind of been a scandal that's broken in an evangelicalism of a man that has really, after his death, has, has been found in some pretty deep sin. You know, one of the, one of the big issues that happens in, in our lives is when we detach ourselves from a local church and from accountability to a local church, sin can, can slide. Sin cannot get noticed. Be very, very careful about these that are, that are their own people out and away from a local church. They have no accountability to a local church. Be very careful. Uh, listen, church family, we're not going to support a missionary that comes through here and, and they cannot answer who their home church is. If they don't have a pastor, we're not supporting them. Right? Are you with me on that? Right? Because they have no accountability. You say, well, that's, that's really, that's strange. No, God has designed it for all the gospel work to happen through the church. God has designed it for the work of the gospel to happen through the local church, not around the local church. And so Paul and Barnabas were members serving on extension from the church of Antioch. And we notice that at the end of this chapter because they go back there and they give a report. They have to tell the church of Antioch what we've been doing out there. And they did that gladly. That wasn't a burden to them. And so it says in Acts 13, verse number two, and as they, Paul and Barnabas, ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Paul, um, Barnabas, and Saul. At that time, his name was Saul. 
for the work whereunto I have called them. And so they were sent right out of that church to go on this ministry tour and go uh, and preach the gospel in this way. And so what was their focus as members serving on extension from the church body in those areas? Number one, their focus was declaring the gospel. You say, I've already heard this. I want us to see it again here in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city. What city? Derby. They had done this over and over and over and over again. This is what's got them in so much trouble. And so when they preached the gospel, the word preach is to convey the gospel, to preach Christ, to preach the good news of the gospel. And that's exactly what Jesus told us to do in Mark 16 and verse number 15. Go into all the world and what church? All right, let's try that again. Go ye into all the world and what? Preach the gospel to how many creatures? All creatures, everyone. And so in God's eyes, there's no, no one that is not worthy of the gospel. I said there's no one that is not worthy of the gospel, right? And so that's very important. They in Derby, the tense of the word is they filled the whole church, of the whole city with the gospel. They were very proactive in preaching the gospel. So the gospel is good news. That's what it means. That's what it means. This is a really great thing. And here's why it's good news. Because first of all, we need to understand this. If we're going to understand the good news of the gospel, we need to understand that you and I are all sinners. Every one of us could raise our hand to this, whether you would want to or not. We are all sinners before a holy God. You say, well, I'm not a sinner compared to my spouse. You're a sinner compared to God. Right? Because God is holy and he's perfect. And that sin has separated you from a holy God. You say, I don't like the sound of that. Listen, if you don't find out that you have cancer, you'll never be able to allow the doctor to treat you for cancer. Correct? And so you need to realize that in your sinful condition, you are separated from a holy God and not just separated because God is absolutely holy. He is perfect. Your sin must be judged by a holy God. And I know that's not popular, but do you realize that it is what the Bible says? The Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3 and verse number 10. And in Revelation 21 and verse number 8, it says, but the fearful and the unbelieving, notice that, and the unbelieving. And then it lists a whole bunch of other sins, and the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and the sorcerers, and the idolaters. And you say in your heart, I'm not that bad of a sinner, And I marvel at God's wisdom when he put the, last, the, the next three words in there, and all liars. Because he knew the sinful condition of our hearts, the deceitfulness of our hearts as human beings. Well, I'm not that bad. I've never murdered someone, so I'm good with God. Well, congratulations, but you have lied. Don't say you haven't lied. Oh, I've told white lies. Listen, God did not put that lingo on that. God was not the one that came up with a white lie and a black lie. The, the, it's lie. It's deceit. And it, it dishonors God. And the very first sin that was committed against God was the sin of pride, which, whether you want to call it ego men or saving face or whatever you want to call it, pride before a holy God is, is sin of the worst sort. It's an abomination to God is what God says. And so you realize we are all in the sinful condition. And if you struggle with accepting that, friend, I... I, I urge you, I implore you, stop fighting against God, who is the one who wants to save you, who wants to be reconciled with you. Stop fighting against the holy God who is saying, listen, you're not as good as me. I mean, the arrogance for someone to rise up against God and say, I am good enough to be in the presence of God who is all holy. We don't even realize it because we have lived our lives trying to promote ourselves and say, I'm better than the next guy but are you better than God? Are you better than God? And so he says, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Oh, there's a physical death, and that's difficult to go through, but the, the second death is eternal death in a place called hell. You say, how could a loving God allow a person to go to such a horrible place? And the fact is, a loving God doesn't want you to go to that place. 
A loving God, because he is infinitely holy, he must judge sin. Because he is infinitely and wonderfully loving, he sent his son to take your punishment for all of your sin and all of your sinfulness and all of your lies and all of your pride and all of that. And he took all of that at the cross. He took your punishment at the cross for you and if you will believe on him he says i will give you my righteousness my holiness which is absolute holiness in place for your sin i'll take your sinfulness i'll give you my righteousness and you can have reconciliation with with god first peter 2 and verse 24 who in his own self speaking of jesus bear our sins and i just want to make that even more personal my sins josiah kagan's sins and you can put your name in there in his own body, on the tree, on the cross, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. The only way for me to be separated, departed from my sins, dead to sin, is for me to allow Jesus Christ to take them and for them to be punished at the cross, and they were. I have a choice, friends. I can either spend an eternity in hell paying for my sin before a holy God, or I can allow a holy God to take all of my sin and make me righteous. You say, well, why don't you just do that? I mean, why don't you just give everyone? Because God is a perfect gentleman, and he's given you a free will. Just like you have a choice to sin against God, you have a choice to receive his forgiveness. And I have a question for you to do. Have you yet received his forgiveness today? Do you know for certain that heaven is your home? Do you know for certain that all of your sins are forgiven? Do you know that when you die, you'll spend an eternity in heaven? Friends, that's the most important thing ever. In fact, these young people that are going to get baptized in a few moments, each one of them have shared their testimony as a young person saying, yes, I've received Jesus Christ. And in their own little minds, the Holy Spirit of God has convicted them of their sinfulness, though it might seem small compared to an adult. God has convicted them of their sinfulness and helped them to realize Jesus is the only way to have forgiveness of sin. And he says in John 3.18, he that believeth on him, Jesus, is not condemned. Think about that. Is not condemned. But there's another part of that verse. But he that believeth not, he that trusteth not, he that does not depend on Jesus Christ is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So listen, there is no neutral point here. You're either saved this morning and on your way to heaven, or you're, uh, you're lost this morning and on your way to hell. And that is a startling, horrific reality that I want you to get, because it is good news when you realize Jesus has made a way for you to be saved and on your way to heaven. It's an amazing thing. And so it comes through belief in him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. And if you're not condemned this morning, can you say a hearty amen to that? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What a blessing. I remember just uh, this past Christmas, uh, some of you remember Brother Joey Maloney. He calls me up and on my cell phone, and he said, Hey, Pastor, I kind of have something a little bit strange uh, for you, and uh, I wondered if you'd be willing to go pick up something. Uh, something has been sent to my address back here in Dayton. He lives out in Colorado now. He moved with the military. Something's been sent to my address, and if you'll go pick it up, I don't know what it is, but it's yours. Well, now I'm interested. I mean... I mean, who, who wouldn't be interested? He says, go over to the, uh, uh, go over to the Air Force Base, go to the, uh, to the, the, I forget what it's called, Brother Frank, the commissary, the post office, novel. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I, I go over there, I walk in, and, hey, Joey Maloney has sent this, uh, 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 sent me over here, and he, oh yes, and they went and grabbed this Amazon package, and I, uh, I put it in the front seat of my car after I left, and and uh, they knew Brother Frank, and I talked to them and invited them to church, and they knew Brother Frank, and uh, so he had made his connect over there. And, uh, and so I put it in the front seat of my car. I drove all the way home and didn't open it, right? No, I opened it before I even put the on car in reverse, right? <laughs> I wanted to know what this thing was. I mean, I, I had no idea. They, they had secret Santas within, sorry, secret Santas within their family, and so they were sending... Uh, sending uh, gifts around the, the country uh, during this time, and one sent it to the, wrong, uh, to the wrong address, and so another one was sent, and he didn't need it, and he said, it's yours. So open it up, and inside was a black box. And uh, it, it opened, and inside was a survival kit with all sorts of fun guy things. I mean, just all sorts of fun guy things. 
knives, flashlights, and all sorts of things. And it's sitting, in my, it's sitting in my car. And it's a nice thing to have if I ever get stranded on the side of the road. But you know what? I had to go and receive it. I had to go and receive it. I was uh, talking to Brother Mike here. We were talking about receiving things. And, you know, sometimes people don't want to receive things. Even help. Right? He asked me the question the other day, why is it so hard for some people to receive help? Why is it so hard for some people to say, you know what, Jesus paid all of my sin. I hear that, but I'm not going to receive it for myself. Why is that? Pride. I can do this on my own. My refrigerator might be bare, but I'm not going to receive help. But people do that with God all the time. We are bankrupt before a holy God. And he says, I'm going to give you all my righteousness if you believe on me and the way through me. If you believe, it's yours. I'm going to give it all to you. Wow. What arrogance, what refusal. And friends, right now, you stand, you live in a time when the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is available to you. You've not yet died, have you? Any of you? You're alive, you're breathing air, right? And the fact is, you have the opportunity, if you've not yet trusted Jesus Christ, to receive him today, to believe on him today. And so they declared the gospel. This was the good news. They declare it. We declare it to you today. We're going to declare it as we go throughout this week. I, Lord willing, if the rain stops, we'll declare it this afternoon as we go out and put some flyers on doors and so on. They declared the gospel. That was their focus. But what else did they do? They discipled the new believers, verse 21. And when they had preached, declared the gospel to that city and taught many. Say that with me. And taught many. All right? So understand this word teach is the idea to make disciples. In fact, it is the idea to help them be instructed in the way of a teacher, in the way of Jesus Christ. So they didn't just get them to accept Jesus Christ and say, you know, sayonara, we're on our way. They stayed there and they taught them this was the work of what we call discipleship, making or helping people to become committed followers of Jesus Christ. They instructed uh, these people in the ways of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus told them to do. In Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, Go ye... Therefore, and teach all nations. There's our word. Teach, disciple, make disciples. It's the same word that's being used here in verse 21 of our passage. So Jesus was the one that told them to do this. They were honoring Jesus. By the way, we should honor Jesus as a church too. Amen? Amen? We should. And so that is our, that's our goal. Now, discipleship includes, I want us to catch this from Matthew 28 and verse number 19. And kids, you that are being baptized this morning, this is really, really, I want you to, I want you to catch a hold of this morning. I want us all to catch a hold of this, but I want you kids to understand this. So I know I have some ears and some little eyes that are looking. You are doing just a great job. You're doing a great job listening. All right, so discipleship begins somewhere. In Matthew 28, if you look in your notes or mark this in your Bible a little bit later on, Matthew 28 says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. It says, make disciples. And then Jesus is really good about this, friends, where he tells us how to do it. You notice that? He's always good about that. He tells us how to do it. He doesn't say come up with your own way. Uh, don't go listen to the, 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 the top guru in, in your country that tells you how to go about church. He says, no, here's, here's how you do it. And the very next phrase here, kids, is this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the idea there is God says, use this as the first tool of making disciples. Help them Here's the first part of discipleship. Identify publicly with Jesus Christ. Help them identify publicly with Jesus Christ. We do not believe in, in, in baby baptism where we just baptize a baby just uh, so that we want them to be in, in the faith or in the church. Baptism in the Bible has to do with believer's baptism, people that are taking a step to identify publicly with Jesus Christ. Each one of the kids being baptized this morning, we've very carefully talked to them. In fact, because I have one that's being baptized that's my son, I had one of our deacons to talk to, um, talk to my son and question him so that it wasn't just easy for me to pass over it. Why? Because I take that really, really seriously. I don't want to baptize someone that is not a, a believer in Jesus Christ. They're coming of their own profession. I don't know. It's between them and God that they're saved. 
but it is a, it's a matter of identifying with Christ. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have believed in Jesus Christ. And so that's what's going on. It first starts with identifying with Christ. And so you have that uh, word there, baptizing them, immersing them. Uh, it is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ being identified with what he did at the cross and uh, resurrecting from the tomb. It's the first step of discipleship, baptism is. The first step. It's the, the first step that we are to command and urge people to take. And the Bible says in Acts 6 to 8 and verse 36 and 37 that it is subsequent. It comes after the confession that I have believed on Jesus Christ, that he is Lord and he is Savior. That's what happened in Acts chapter number 8. So that's the first step. But the second step or the second part of discipleship comes in verse number 20, Matthew 28 and verse number 20. And it says this. It says that uh, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I, who's the I, Jesus, have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. What's that word teach there? It's to simply instruct. So you help them go through the baptism, which is identification with Christ. Very, very important. Christ wants us to be public followers of him. He does not want us, church, to be secret followers of him. Well, I'm going to be really bold and sing at church, but when I get out at the workplace, I'm not going to I'm let anyone know that I'm a believer. What do you do this week? I went to church. <laughs> oh, I went, I went and met with some people. No, no, no. He does not want us to be shy about this. He wants us to be identified with him publicly. And if there's anything I can encourage us as a church today, they might be identifying as a first step, but are you still identifying with Jesus in your daily life? That's a good question for us all to mull over. And so the second part of that is instruction, teaching them to observe all things. Do you know what this word observe means? To conform one's attitude and practice to. You know what we are to do with new believers? You see this? See this? This is what Jesus says. And this is how Jesus acts. And this is how Jesus forgives. And this is how Jesus deals with people. And that situation you're going through right now, this is how Jesus dealt when people were against him. And you know what? This is what you need to do. It's not about, this is what Pastor Kagan wants you to do, or Grace Baptist Church, or some other believer. This is what Jesus, and discipleship is the work of instructing them to observe, to put into practice all that Jesus said. Now friends, will the church ever run out of work? Will we as a church family, and by that I don't mean the church as a program or an organization, I mean us. You individually as a believer that's a member of this church, will we ever run out of work? No. We're to constantly be teaching and helping others to come along in the faith. And so the essence of discipleship, one man said, is becoming like the master, and this is brought about by systematic teaching and the submission to the word of God. And so, friends, there is, we have a discipleship curriculum or study that we go through, but discipleship is not a program. Discipleship is a lifestyle. Disciple is something that we go along through life and we, we, we work through life together. You realize that you're being discipled this morning as we gather in this place? Why? Because by God's grace, to the best of my ability in my, my, human, uh, in my human condition, I'm trying to show you the word of God. He was the one that put the book of Acts in here. He's the one that said, this is the way church ought to work. This is what you ought to be focused on. And I say, let's do this, church. Let's do this. Let's not get off track. This is what's important. And so every time we meet together, Sunday night, Wednesday night, our Bible studies, we're being discipled as we gather together for one-on-one. -on -one. And I believe there's great value in this one-on-one -on -one discipleship where there can be a Bible study between two people, a mature believer and a new believer, and there can be discipleship that's so important to this happening, the instruction in all things that he has commanded. It's a lifelong journey to become a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And so disciples is who we are. I'm a disciple you know that? I want to follow Jesus. I don't always perfectly do that, but I want to. And if you're a believer here this morning, you've had to make the choice whether to be a disciple or not. I'm going to commit to following Jesus Christ no matter what. But you know discipleship is just what we do. It's not a program we install in a church. It's what we just are to do. Do you understand that? You with me on that? So I would like to ask you just as a matter of prayer this morning, maybe even write this down. Would you ask God, as members of Grace Baptist Church, that God would grow us in a marked way in this matter of discipleship? Would you pray for that? 
I think that's an area that we can, we can progress forward in. Not that we're not even trying, not saying that at all. I, I, I'm just saying, church, could we pray about that? Uh, we also need to pray about our communication of the gospel because these are the two focuses that we need to have, declaring the gospel and discipling new believers. And there's some here this morning that aren't even new believers that haven't been discipled, and you're still, you know, people ask you questions from the word of God, and, and you're still struggling to uh, talk about the triune God or where we got the Bible or what, what's the importance of church, and perhaps you need to go through a one-on-one Bible study uh, and, and help get grounded in that way. But let's pray about that as a church because we, wanna, we don't want to get complex. We want to keep it simple, right? Uh, sim- uh, simplicity is important. Brother Grant, you know in business, simplicity is important. Sometimes in business, everything gets very complex, all right, especially in your, uh, in your IT world, right? Very, very complex. But the, the fact is, God didn't make church to be just this complex thing. Preach the gospel. That's what they did when they came into a city. And with the new believers that came to Christ, they discipled them. They helped them to know what Jesus wanted them to do. That's pretty simple, and we can do that um, by God's grace. And so in every city, this is what they were doing. This was their practice. This was their focus. And by extension, this was what the Church of Antioch was all about, right? And they sent out two missionaries to help them in that way. So that was what was going on. Number two, I want you to notice their work of discipleship was not yet done. Verse 21 and on forward, they followed up unbelievers. So, all right, we're all done in Derby. It's time to go home. We're pretty close to home. We're on the direction. Give us the map again. They're on the direction back to Antioch, back in Syria. So they're on their way back into that, um, that area. But no, no, they, they reverse course and they go back to these disciples. Now notice, no caring mom births a baby, and then says, I'll feed you for today, and then you're on your own after tomorrow. All right, good luck. Uh, they, sell, they sell formula over at Kroger's. Good luck. They don't, you don't do that, right? Uh, and no caring believer is going to see someone come to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you're on your own. Go back to work where everyone's going to scoff at you. Go back to your family gatherings where everyone's going to think you've lost it and going to slander you and say some uh, weird things about you. Just go back. And, and, and I'll check up with you, you know, once in a while at church, and maybe I'll, I'll give you a text. No, a caring believer is going to go back and follow up and follow up. And that's exactly what they did. And new believers need follow-up. And it required investment on Paul and Barnabas' part because they had to go back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, which was 150 miles in the wrong direction from home. I mean, they didn't, have, they didn't have a Tesla to drive up there in. You know, it wouldn't have gotten that far anyway, <laughs> maybe. I don't know how many miles those things go anyway anymore these days, but uh, nonetheless, they, maybe it's 200. I got off on a rabbit trail, and now you're gonna be, you are going to be focused on, on that. Don't be focused on that. So they're going back up to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, back up that way, 150 miles, and you know what? In some of these cities, they had been running out of town. They've been stoned in one of the cities, so they're like going back to these cities where they weren't incredibly popular. Right? So there's investment. There is, there is some pain that might be, you know, faced in these cities. Uh, they're probably not going to be, um, become wealthy in these cities. If they, worked in, uh, if they work and Paul did some tent making, uh, they're going to be ostracized in those cities. But they went back through the cities, which was dangerous work. Now, if we were to have a missionary come, we have a couple coming in, in the month of March. We'll say more about that in time. But they're going to give reports. One of them is our missionary, fairly new within the last five years. And he's going to give a report. If all he says is, you know, we saw this many people saved, be like, yes! But really, if we're New Testament-minded, Acts-minded, we should ask, how is the follow-up going, brother? Right? So they could have gone back, and many churches like ours would have said, yes, all these people were saved, and would have said, you know, that last leg of the journey wasn't that big of a deal. Yes, it's a huge deal, huge deal. They were going back to follow up on them. Paul said to the Galatians, Galatians 4.19, says, my little children, of whom I travail in birth until Christ be formed in you. Discipleship and follow-up takes work. It's like, moms, that bring you back for a moment? You remember the birth? right? And Paul says it's like that. You know, sometimes us, us uh, believers, you're older in the faith, and maybe you've given up on somebody who really needed discipled along. Do you realize Paul likens it to a woman giving birth? And I know all you women are just saying right now, uh, Paul didn't have a clue, and no, he didn't, okay? I, I understand that he, he never had a baby, 
but he likened it to the pain and the work and the travail of it. And I think what he was trying to say is, hey, this is hard work. This isn't easy. There's some, there's some times where everything seems to be going in the right direction, then it, a big problem comes along. And we need to be willing to work through that and disciple and bring them along. So he invested, Paul and Barnabas both invested, even when it was inconvenient, when it cost time and money to travel those 150 miles, meals along the road, and so on. But the intention they had was confirming the souls in verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them. They were going to strengthen them. This is not like confirmation classes. They did not go hold confirmation classes. Can we get that clear? You're going to have to help me out. Like, I need to know that you got that, all right? These aren't confirmation classes, okay? This is what the idea is, is strengthening them in their faith. That's what the word means, to strengthen them. So they came along. Hey, what have you you have experienced over the last couple days? You know, last couple months, probably, more likely. Uh, we've, We've been away, and the last time we were here, kind of caused an uproar in the city. What have you faced when you went to work? What are some of the challenges you're facing in your family? Oh, you know... Oh, and the new believer says, boy, I'm just so discouraged, and this is such a problem. I, I thought following Jesus would be the right thing to go, but everywhere I tur- uh, turn, there's a problem, and there's different things that I'm facing. And Paul and Barnabas were able to say, listen, Jesus said that there would be problems. And, and this isn't, you're not experiencing anything that's out of the ordinary. Uh, following Jesus isn't always going to be easy. In fact, we learned on Vision Sunday that following on e- uh, Jesus requires, and seeing him build his church, is going to require believers who take up their cross and deny themselves daily and follow after him, even to the loss of their own life and, and their own ambition and all of that, that. So he says, following me is not going to be easy. And they were able to come along and strengthen them in their faith, You're not facing something that other followers of Christ haven't faced. And exhort them, urge them is the idea to continue on through the tribulation as they would enter into heaven. So he's saying, listen, you are going to have many tribulations, many trials. You're going to have many relationship struggles. There's going to be some addictions that you need to work through in your life that are spiritual battlefields that you need to work through in your life. And these are going to be struggles. But listen, you can get through it by the grace of God. And you don't have to stay where you are. You can continue on wherever he's calling you to go, whatever he's asking you to do. You can get through this and God's going to give you the strength. And they're there just strengthening them along through all those things. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, that in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so Jesus told us there would be tribulations. And so what would a wise believer do in following up? He is going to come along and say, listen, Jesus said there's going to be tribulations. And what are the tribulations you're facing right now? How can we work and process through that? You know what that requires? Relationship. You know what that requires? We cannot walk in and out of this building isolated islands to ourselves. We cannot expect God to do the building work in his church if we will not, in a a real sense, just open up our arms and our hearts to everyone God brings to us. Are you with me, church? It requires relationship and mentoring. And so they were doing that. They were investing, and their intent was to uh, strengthen them and to exhort them, to urge them. Wait a minute, these were new believers. Don't you have low expectations for new believers? Listen, sometimes new believers outrun old believers. They have such a fervor and a faith, and it's a wonderful thing to see. If you're a new believer here this morning, praise God for you. We need your faith. We need your vitality. We need your enthusiasm for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need that we need that sense that you have right now. Whatever God says, I will do it. We need that. Our church needs that. And praise God for you in, the, in this place. And so there are many new believers, but they didn't stop there. They gave a farewell. Notice in verse number 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church, and then it goes on they, through several verses to say they're going back to Antioch, okay? So they did not leave them and say, Bye, we've discipled you, we've strengthened you in the faith, we've exhorted you to continue on, we'll check back in a year. No, here's what they did. They set up a structure right in their own cities, right in their own communities, right in their own places where they lived, where they worked, and they played. Right in that place, they set up a church. They planted a church. Notice there in verse number 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church. What is a church? It's a called out assembly of believers from the world to Jesus Christ. All right, so it's, it's a group of people who have believed on Jesus Christ and have publicly identified with him and are gathering together, assembling together in a local way, like 
like we are locally assembled today. They're assembling together. And he says, here's what we did. We set up elders. What are these elders? I've given this to you. I'm not going to break all this down, but I want us to realize that there are many different teachings that go on in religion today that, that have all these different uh, rankings, if you will, of, of bishops and elders, and you have all these different rankings that go on. In the Bible, we especially find in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, we especially find that God lays out the, the duty of a pastor. And I, I probably should have titled it uh, in this way in your notes, uh, the five job descriptions of a pastor, uh, not so much titles, but the five job descriptions, if you want to correct that. I, I saw that and I thought, you know, that's not, that's not quite accurate. And one of the job descriptions of a pastor is this matter of being the elder, one who presides over the deliberative assembly. So in, the, in, in a legal sense, in, a, in, a, in an organizational sense, the pastor is the one who is to preside or to lead in the business and the affairs of the church. So what Paul set on did, he set up elders. He told Titus to do this in Crete as well. He, said he set up elders in the city to lead the church. How are these people going to continue to grow in the Lord and to witness in their, in their town? And how are they going to continue to be discipled? Through the church. So this is, this is just vitally, vitally important for us to realize the importance of the local church to our lives. In fact, according to Ephesians 4 and verse 11 through 14, we find that the local church, a church like ours, that believes the Bible, opens up the Bible, and, and preaches that it is essential for your stability and for your Christian growth. You think you can do life without church, a local assembly of a Bible-believing church that believes the right things. Listen, you cannot. As a believer, you will be stunted in your growth. I, don't, I can be saved and not go to church. I, okay. True. But you can be saved and not grow, is what you're saying. You say, oh, no, wait a minute. I read my Bible all the time. Listen, if there's no church in your area and, and, and you're praying for God to bring a church into your area and, and, and we might have some extenuating circumstances, but listen, if you are willfully uh, neglecting the local church, the assembly with the local church, friends, you are not a growing believer. And maybe that hits you really rough, but I, I would urge you as your first action step, ask me, I'll give you a list of the, of the places in your city where you can go uh, to church and hear Bible preaching. But you need a Bible preaching assembly that you can gather together in. And I encourage you in that. And I'm grateful you're here today. But the fact of the matter is, you will be stable and you will grow in the Lord as you are connected to the body of Christ. And that is his plan. And so why did Paul do that? Because they knew they were going to travel all the way over to Antioch. They needed a local church to gather in. And so the, the local church is essential to your growth. It's essential. And if the local church is not important to you. Listen, he calls it his body. He calls it his body, then Jesus Christ himself is not important to you. It's his body. This is the local expression of his body meeting together today. And as we go out into town, we're going to express his kindness, his love, and his gospel everywhere we go. By God's grace and with his help, we're going to do that. We're going to express Jesus Christ in, in the town. That's not weird mystical. It is his body. He calls it in Ephesians 5, his body. And so every believer needs to belong to a church. Listen, I would not move to a city, move my family to a city without first researching whether there was a church there. You say, that's, that's far out. Because you're thinking of worldly thinking. Everything in my life revolves around this place. Now, my family's my first ministry. Guys, your family's your first ministry. But I need this church. I need this place. I need you. And you need the church. And so, uh, just to take that one step further, and, and by way of encouragement, in this year, as you um, plan your family vacations, where are you going to take your family? If you're going on a two-week vacation, are you going to take a vacation from assembling with believers? Something to consider. Where are you going to go to church? Boy, some of the sweetest times I've had is going to church and visiting other churches while I was on vacation and uh, allowing the Lord to work in my heart from another pastor and what a blessing it is. So Paul was not finished there in those cities until he set up elders, until he set up a pastor to lead in the church. There were churches there until he set up leadership, and that was so important. And I want us to notice this as we go one step and lastly. He did not set these up as satellite churches. 
say, well, wait a minute. I hear of churches all the time that have you know, campuses all across everywhere. No, he did not set this up as a satellite church of Antioch or a chapel of Antioch. Are you with me? This is important. These were going to be set up as self-governing, self-funded, and self-propagating local churches. It's exactly what we do in the matter of church planning. There's a time where that becomes its own church that governs itself. And so they left there, not these satellite churches that were constantly calling back to Antioch. What, what do you want me to do? There were pastors there, and there was a local body of believers that were going to uh, receive the direction from their head, Jesus Christ, and were going to walk forward in faith in that city, preaching the gospel and continuing to disciple the new believers. And so that's what they left in place. And as they left, before they, before they left, they bowed in prayer. They fasted, it says there in verse number 23, and they entrusted them to the care of the Lord. So here we have these new churches. Well, what's going to happen? What happens if Satan gets in and some wrong doctrine gets in and some uh, false teachers get in? Here's what Paul and Barnabas did. Dear Lord, you see what you've done in this city. You see this new pastor that you've provided for this church. You see this church family that's gathered together. And uh, Lord, we are earnest about this. We're concerned that they would continue on for you and that they would continue to preach the gospel and make disciples. And we want, we want that to happen. We know that you want that to happen. And we're earnest about this. We're even fasting today. We've taken this day just to say, wow, I, not even food's more important to us than, than this matter. And we're asking that you would care, that you would care for these churches and these believers. I think that is so powerful. We get all in our minds that that some other person's spirituality depends on me. Listen, your spirituality does not depend on me. You're here today, praise the Lord. I'm a messenger taking the word of God and, 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 and sharing it. That, that doesn't make me greater than you. Aren't you thankful for that? It, it doesn't. I'm simply a messenger, same flesh as you. But ultimately, you have a shepherd today that can care for your soul. And his name is Jesus Christ. And Paul and Barnabas recognized that and they prayed with those churches and committed them to the care of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Think about that. That was the shepherd to whom they entrusted the care of these believers to. What a great, what a great way to end their first missionary tour. God, these are yours. And would you help these folks along? Would you continue to help them to grow in you? And they committed them to them. He commended is the word, entrusted. Listen, this helps us to understand the doctrine not only of the church, but also the doctrine of individual soul liberty, the priesthood of the believer that we firmly hold to as Baptists, that, that you don't have to go through a priest to get to God, that you are responsible to God himself, you can pray to him. You can come to him for forgiveness directly as a believer, as a child of God. And that the care of your soul firmly rests in the hands of the Savior, John chapter 10, verse 28. That's good. Maybe you're not excited about that, but I'm excited about that. Because you know what that means to me today as a pastor? I'm so thankful that the care of your souls are in, in Christ's hands. And God gives responsibilities to pastors and these guys would have responsibilities, but I'm so thankful Jesus cares for your soul. Aren't you? Some of you are. But what an amazing thought. Jesus cares about you today. And, and you can pray that for another believer. Maybe you're discipling somebody, and, and it would be a good thing for you to say, Lord, I'm working really hard to honor you and teach them what you've said, but ultimately, Lord, I'm going to admit right now that their soul is in your care. Isn't that great? And so that's what they did. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was confident about that for the Philippian believers. We can be confident about that for others. And so the focus of that church of Antioch sending out Paul and Barnabas on this first missionary tour is the same focus that we need to have today. Preach the gospel and disciple the new believers. Disciple, teach them what it is. That's what we are to do. What they did, we must do, and we must continue to do, and we must be proactive at that. We'll declare the gospel. Like I said, we'll go out this afternoon. You declare the gospel as you go about your daily life. Please do that.
as on extension from the Grace Baptist Church. Let's declare the gospel as members of this church. Let's disciple the new believers that God provides to us. And we'll say a lot more about that, but I'm encouraged that you're going to pray about that in the days ahead. It's not a program. Listen, if you go searching for a church, one of the things you need to find in a church is two of the things. The focus needs to be, are they preaching the gospel and are they discipling new believers? Are they discipling people along? And by the way, it's not just new believers that need disciple. We're all disciples. We continue in our discipleship journey. So are they discipling? Can I say it that way? So, so very important. This is not just the pastor's job, right? Many churches have been ruined by considering the work of the gospel and the work of discipling the pastor's job. It is the pastor's job, but it's your job too. Aren't you thankful for that? Praise the Lord. This is simply who we are and what we get to do. And I love being a part of what God is doing here. And I ask God, will you keep on growing us? Will you help us along? Where we're lagging behind, would you give us a leg up? By your grace, would you help us along? And uh, so that's our prayer this morning. And so would you bow your heads this morning? We're going to come to an invitation time. And um, what an invitation is, is simply an opportunity for us to respond in a quiet moment to the Lord. And so there's several areas I want to encourage you about responding to the Lord. Number one, I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, as I shared the gospel with you at the beginning of this message, you don't know for certain that you're saved and on your way to heaven. You don't know that your sins are forgiven. You're still separated from God because you're, you're, you've deceived God or you've lied. You've not believed him. You're still separated from him. And you say, boy, that, that wasn't comfortable, Pastor, but I, I understand that I am a sinner. I recognize that, and I want salvation I wonder, is there anyone here this morning that would be willing enough and bold enough to say, God really spoke to my heart about that. No one's looking around, but God really spoke to my heart about that. And I don't know for certain that I'm saved and on my way to heaven. And I'd be willing just to lift my hand, Pastor. I will not point you out, I promise you that. But I'd be willing just to lift my hand and acknowledge that God worked in my heart about that. And I'm concerned. I don't know where I'll spend eternity. Is there anyone like that here this morning? I don't know where I'll spend eternity. Amen. Anyone else? I, I don't know where I'll spend eternity, but I'd like to know that. I'd like to get that taken care of today. We'll, here's what we're going to do. I'll tell you what, 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 what I'd like to do and offer you. Is after the service, we'd like to take a Bible and just answer any questions that you have and, and offer you the opportunity to trust Christ. We will not force you. I promise you that because God is a God that gave you a free will. You have to make up your own mind, but we certainly want you to have all the, the questions that you have answered. Is there anyone else? I don't know for certain that I'm saved and on my way to heaven, but I'd like to know that, Pastor. Here's my hand. I admit that. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.